right, good morning. Welcome to worship. Good to see everyone here this day. Excited to see what God is going to do in our service ahead. If you take out your bulletins, we've got a few announcements as we get started. As always, if you're a guest, please fill out this uh, tear-off portion of your bulletin, put it in the offering plate as it goes by, and we'd love to follow up with you on any information or questions you might have about Mechanicsville Baptist. On the other side is a place at the bottom for prayer requests. As always, put those prayer requests in there, and know and trust we do pray for each and every one, and they can be anonymous, that's fine. It's just anything you'd like to pr be prayed for, love to do that. On the back are opportunities for the week. Want to make mention tonight uh, we do have our encounter service at five, and then youth meets at six, and there's the slash music kickoff. That's like different than youth. It's not a youth thing. It's adult choirs, ensembles, all, and handbells. So everybody's in, in, in choirs, handbells, and ensembles tonight at six o'clock in the music room. What? And bring something good to eat. The youth are going to get slushies because we're. All right. Um, Monday and Thursday, we're back to our uh, rec ministry on uh, Monday and Thursday nights. That starts at 7 o'clock if you're interested. And then um, Wednesday is our kickoff for a lot of our Wednesday night programs this week. So we're excited about that. Our midweek Bible study, our connect groups, which I'll talk about in, in a minute here. And, oh, Awana starts off youth all on Wednesday night, and we're having one Wednesday night supper uh, each month, the first Wednesday normally, not, not this month because uh, this is our first one. So there's a green card in your bulletins. If you would like to be on the list for Wednesday night supper, just fill that out and put it in the offering plate. You may call the office, or you can fill this out and bring it to the office this week if you need, but I think that would be the easiest way to do it. If you know you're going to be there for our Wednesday night meals, fill that out and turn it in. We would love to have you for that fellowship time. And then... Um, I think that's about it for those announcements. So, oh, there's a question. Okay. Tuesday Women on Mission? Okay, you got any details for that? Autumn Care playing bingo 10 a.m. Tuesday and bring prizes if you have committed to bring prizes. You do not want to not have prizes for the bingo winners. That's right. Um, and so as we start our uh, Wednesday Night Connect groups, we want to give you an opportunity to see the different studies we are offering. And in the back of the sanctuary is on a table the different books and, and place for you to sign up and join a study. They go from 6 to 7.30, and they're different uh, segments, five-week study, a six-week study, and an eight-week study. So whichever is to your preference, you may join. And um, we're going to show videos of each of three studies, and then we're going to have Paula come and share a little bit about why you should get involved in our connect groups. And so you ready back there, Tommy? Okay. My goal is to put hope in people. I genuinely believe that if we keep making right choices, it's going to open doors and help us with the great adventure of life. I'm up to, I think, chapter six, or chapter seven at the moment. I picked it up last night, I got it yesterday. I'm reading Pastor Brian's book, Live, Love, Lead. We know so much of what we see of Pastor Brian and over the years, having been in this world, but I think what I've been expecting and already found was seeing a lot of what is not seen in their journey. It's like having a coffee time, like one-on-one -on -one coffee time with Pastor Brian. It felt like Brian was personally mentoring me through life. I love it because it's real. I love it because you hear his heart. I love it because you see his life story. This book is important because people need help and they need it now and they need practical things that they can use to change their world. And this book is that. For us, living in here in Spain, you know, the word leadership doesn't always mean something positive. And I just love that Pastor Brian puts on these pages his story, you know, the, the great moments, the difficult moments, and actually to see the faithfulness of God. What I love about his story and about his book is the early and humble beginnings of Hillsong Church, 40 people in a warehouse. That speaks to everybody, and I love it. I've been trying to tell Dad for my entire life that he needs to write this book, a book where he's just really just puts himself completely into it and 
gives people an opportunity to see who he is. It's been encouraging, so encouraging to hear this is what he's walked through and this is what he saw and this is maybe all he could see at the time. You know, if I want to look at my best friends or look at my family members, people who don't necessarily know a relationship with Jesus, I want to give them an opportunity to see the real story. It's the most timeless underdog story in all of history. David versus Goliath, a shepherd boy that no one believed in, looking up at a nine-foot giant that everyone believed was undefeatable. It's a story we apply to business, to sports, to politics, to a wide assortment of challenges and struggles that each of us face in our lives. And in every version of this story, we want to see ourselves as David. It's easy to think, if I could just be like David, I could fight the giants in my life. The giant of fear, the giant of rejection, the giants of anger and addiction. We all have a giant, that's the bad news. But here's the good news, we are not David. The story of David is not a story about us. It's ultimately a story about Jesus, the one who has slayed not just one giant, but every giant. For all time, for all people, Jesus is the ultimate giant slayer. This is the message at the center of Goliath must fall. There's a remarkable amount of freedom in realizing that Jesus has knocked down your giant for your good and for his glory. And when we begin to live in that freedom, not only will we see that Goliath could fall, we see something even more extraordinary. Goliath must fall. of ministering through music for almost 20 years now as a songwriter a recording artist a performer as well as a worship leader right here at Perimeter Church but this latest endeavor of writing a book really took me out of my comfort zone the idea to write when God doesn't fix it emerged over just the past few years of having more and more opportunities to share my story as I honestly shared my faith journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I became more and more convinced that the greatest ministry that any of us have to offer is to share our stories. It is through our imperfect lives, even our most broken chapters, that God's faithfulness is truly showcased. Yet as a mom of a one-year-old with twins on the way, I really struggled to see how I could find time to write out such a story. By the way, just warning anyone who's listening, don't ever tell God what you don't have time to do. He has a really funny way of clearing your schedule really in the most inconvenient way you can imagine. So seven months into my pregnancy with twins, I was put on mandatory bed rest, having to cancel all of my events, being banished to my couch by my mother and my husband who graciously took care of our little girl and our entire home for the remainder of my pregnancy. But the true reason I wrote when God doesn't fix it wasn't that I had to find something to do during my maternity leave to avoid cabin fever. I wrote it to share the hard truth that God has been teaching me ever since my husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. This book is for anyone who has ever had God answer their prayers differently than they ask, or maybe in a different time frame than they expected. And that's why I hope that you will join me on this five-week journey through When God Doesn't Fix It. During our time together, we will see how God can redeem our past and give us hope for the future. And we will see that while God may not fix everything that's broken in our lives, He will lead us to a place where we are better because of it. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand All other ground is sinking sand
morning. Have you ever called someone and been put on hold? All you want is to be connected so you can talk to the person on the other end of the line to either fix a problem, schedule a repair or a doctor appointment, or maybe just to catch up with a friend you haven't seen in a long time. Being on hold is no fun. You've made the effort to connect and you're being held from getting through. It seems like you wait forever. Sometimes music is played to make the wait more enjoyable. I personally try to clean a bathroom or do another household chore while I'm on hold. Once the connection is made, you're so relieved. You can finally talk to the person to work toward problem resolution, schedule the repair appointment or the doctor appointment, or catch up with that old friend to rekindle and grow a friendship. Have you ever put God on hold? He is calling to, um, and you need to complete that connection with him in the new connect groups that we're starting this Wednesday at 6. Answer his call. Don't put him on hold. Maybe you need to fix or repair a problem in your own life or need care from the great physician, or maybe you need to just catch up with Jesus and rekindle your friendship with him. Here's a scripture that I had in my devotion this morning that really fits what I'd been thinking about I was going to say, and it's Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And for me, that's what happens when we connect with others and with God in these small group Bible studies. God teaches us great and unsearchable things. And again, we have a table in the back um, for you to sign up with the connect groups. And I'm also going to put a plug in for the encounter groups on Sunday nights. They are an awesome worship and Bible study experience. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Even though there's clouds in the sky and a hurricane's on its way. It's okay, because we all love God, and we're so glad that we can join together. So have your hymnals ready to page 388, make us one. Stand, greet each other, and then we'll join together and sing.
Please stand for our invocation. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be together this day. And we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are what brings us together as your children. And we thank you for adopting us into your family, for giving us everything we need. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that this service, you would be glorified, your Holy Spirit would dwell, and that you would unite us in ways in only which you can. We give you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue praising God this morning. If you notice in some of our titles, it's the word we. We. We are the body of Christ, and we together can spread God's love. So we're going to sing hymn number 391. We are called to be God's people. turn over in your hymnals a few pages to 474. We're going to do the responsive reading, Lead Us, Lord, on the top of page 474. And there are uh, worship leader will be myself, you all be worshipers, and then the, whim, the women and the men will all have their own uh, lines as well. So let us start. Lead us, Lord. What does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. You belong to Christ and Christ to God. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So once again, I ask you to get in your hymnals and turn to page 385. They'll know we are Christians by our love. We are one in the spirit, we are one in the 
standing for our offertory prayer. Let us go to God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, the Spirit is amongst us, and you have provided for each and every one of us, and you have shown us and given us the example to give back to your storehouse so you can use it for the needs of your kingdom. Bless the gift and the giver. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we pray? God of grace and God of glory, into your presence we bow on this day, given to us by you. And we are blessed, Father, to be here, to worship you, sing praises to your name, and listen for a word of challenge for our lives. 
thank you, Father, for each person present. We all come with needs, Father, and concerns, and so we lift them to you. Asking, Father, that you work in the lives of your people to bring healing and strength, encouragement and hope. We are thankful, Father, that as we pray, you already are working in our lives. Thank you for this church and for its stand on your word. We pray, Father, that as we journey into the future together, that we will do so focusing on you and what it is you have for us as we seek to serve. Thank you, Father, for the many activities that will start tonight and on Wednesday night. We're thankful, Father, for the connect groups and for what they can bring to our knowledge and to our learning and can challenge us along the way. And for those who are giving of their time, Father, to lead these groups, we're thankful for them. We're thankful, Father, for those who give of their time each week in preparation for Sunday school, for those who work with our missions groups, and for all that we do, Father, as we seek to serve you. Thank you, Father, for the community in which we live, and we pray for the leaders of our community and for those who protect us. We're grateful, Father, for their dedication and commitment. And we pray, Father, that we might be citizens who are responsible, first before you and then before those who lead us. We pray, Father, that as we open your word in a few moments that you will speak to our hearts, that you will help us, Father, to examine who we are in relationship to you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall Exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord forever. His truth shall Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, as we continue our series this morning on strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We are at the topic of weaknesses. 
And so we read verses 1 through 6. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Walking is often used in the Bible as a figure of speech to describe a certain manner of life. This is true of the seven occurrences in Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he contrasts the walk of the believer with that of the unbeliever. Having laid a foundation in a theological exposition of the theme Christ in the church, Paul now takes up his practical purpose as he sets before his readers the guidelines of Christian conduct and deportment in the world. But before he gets involved with details, he must first give an overall picture of what it is to be, what it is to be the church's calling in the world. In chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, Paul describes the height and depth, the glory and wonder of the Christian calling. It is a glorious privilege to be a Christian. In chapters 4 through 6, he urges Christians to walk worthily of such a privilege. Paul is urgent in his request in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul is saying, you are representatives of Christ in the world. Let your manner of life be such that it will not be a reproach to your master. When speaking of the weaknesses of our church and the church in general, it is important to note that the weaknesses grow out of a lack of worthily walking before Christ. The vision team, as it was renamed in the last business meeting, has been meeting for several months, searching and seeking for ways as a church we can move into the future walking with our Lord. One of the ways to do this is to evaluate who we are as a church in light of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. But in order to do this, it is important for us to look at our weaknesses from a spiritual perspective as we evaluate our walk with the Lord. Three things about this worthy walk, all hinging on our text, are suggested in Ephesians. So we will look at those as we look at our weaknesses this morning. First, the manner of the worthy walk. Paul says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of of peace, verses 2 and 3. Let us measure ourselves by these two verses of Scripture and realize how far short we fall. The tone and temper of the believer's life and deportment are set out in verse 2. The moral qualities therein described are best understood as the fruit of the Spirit in view of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. If we are not producing fruit, then we are not walking worthily of the calling we have in Christ Jesus. Fruit is the product of our walk. They are completed by the encouragement Paul gives to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit makes possible by His activity within the church this bond of peace that keeps us together. And there are two matters stated here. First, there is a unity which the Holy Spirit creates. And second, Christians have a responsibility to cherish it by their harmonious relationships. In the bond of peace is a phrase which denotes how the unity is preserved. It is made fast with bonds of peace. We are held together as we work together in peace, as we walk together with the Lord, forged by the reconciling work of Christ himself. One of the tendencies of this church, and for that matter any church, is to look for ways to break this bond of peace by creating disunity by whatever means. 
We are encouraged, even commanded by God or by Paul to live humbly with one another, recognizing one another's weaknesses but not dwelling on them. First, Paul says, with all lowliness and meekness. More exactly, this reads, with all modesty and humility of spirit. We need these qualities. The weeds of Pharisaic attitudes spring quickly in our hearts. How easily we feel ourselves to be spiritually superior to other Christians, but we are not to do so. This is not a worthy walk. Again, Paul says, with long-suffering, Or with patience, freely rendered. This reads enduring with unruffled temper. Sometimes we hear a person say, I can endure what they say about me if it's true. But if it's not, I just can't stand it. But this is not the imitation of Christ. This is not His Spirit. Peter tells us, Of our Lord who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. 1 Peter chapter 2. James tells us in the first chapter of James, verse 19, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. How often we turn these around. If we are to endure With unruffled temper, what a difference it would make. As Christian men and women growing in Christ, we we should not be so easily offended. Again, Paul says, forbearing one another in love. Freely rendered, he is saying, putting up with one another in a spirit of love. But what if some person in the church can endure with unruffled temper. Paul says it this way, put up with that person, bear with him. As long as people are human, there will be a need for Christian forbearance. Why are we short on Christian forbearance and patience? Perhaps it is because we are short on Christian love. We practice forbearance in our homes. Ask any man about his wife or any wife about her husband. Our patience sometimes wears thin. But most of the time we forbear each other because we love each other. In like manner we are to love one another as members of Christ's church. We are the family of God and we are supposed to be walking in the same direction. Still again Paul says giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. No member of any church is to do or say anything to mar or destroy the fellowship of the church. To be guilty of such a thing is a grievous sin with which few can compare. And the penalty is terrible. The scripture says if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are that temple when we are here. But this is not a negative command. It is positive, something we are to do. We are to work diligently at keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The second thing we can learn about our weaknesses in this passage is the direction of the worthy walk. We do not become worthy, mature Christians in a moment. We do not grow until a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in the twinkling of an eye. We must walk in that direction. And walking in that direction means we come together to learn and to grow. If we are not walking in that direction, we are either walking in the wrong direction or not walking at all. And this weakens the church. Our commitment before the Lord in His church is a walk in the right direction. Lots of people walk, but are they walking in the right direction? We must walk in the direction that leads out of death into life. And you did He make alive, Paul says in the second chapter of this epistle, when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. A Christian is a person who is now alive to God. If we are not living toward God and walking toward Him, then we are walking in the wrong direction. I'm reminded of Enoch in the Old Testament. Remember Enoch? He was walking with God, the Scripture says, and Enoch walked with God and he was not. 
In other words, his walk was so in tune with God that he just kept walking with God until he walked his way into eternity. He was walking with God. Millions of people in the world are alive to worldly ambitions, walking in the way of the world with its pleasures, its business, its politics, and to all, and to all of the world's interests and demands, but they are dead toward God. Dead in trespasses and sins. As Christians, we can remember when we had no interest in the things of the Spirit because we were dead to them. But if we are walking in the direction that leads out of death into life, we ought to be growing away from the world and into the things of Christ. John tells us that we cannot love things that are at opposite poles. We cannot walk in two directions at the same time. It destroys our fellowship. It destroys the church. We must walk in the direction that leads from sin to holiness. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul also says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the vanity of their mind. Paul describes the Gentile walk in the verses that follow. That is why you were That is why you were, Paul is saying, but there is to be a difference now. You did not so learn Christ. It is tragic to see those who profess to be Christians, but in whose lives you can tell no difference from the lives of unbelievers. They go to the same place, do the same things, and desire the same things. Apparently, they are the same. They are walking or trying to walk both ways. If we are walking in the direction that leads from sin to holiness, we ought to reach the point in our pilgrimage where we no longer relish our old sins, but rather the things of God. If there is no difference in us, then we are weak and the church will struggle. We must walk in the direction that leads from darkness to light. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, You were once in darkness, but are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What a powerful figure. Christ is the light of the world, and we are to walk toward Him. Two people walking in opposite directions may be at the same spot for just an instance, but their destinations are different. If we walk toward the darkness of sin, the darkness grows darker and darker. If we walk toward the light, our way grows brighter and brighter. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we find in 1 John chapter 1, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sin. But we must walk toward the light. For eight hours, He prepares His uniform. And in his mind, for duty. Every day of his duty, he gets a fresh haircut. And when he is on duty, he will not vary from his command a single step. Or for a single second. No matter the weather. No matter the hour of the day. No matter the day of the week. No matter the number of people watching. And no matter if no one watches at all. You've seen his picture, of course. For he is the unflinching guard, the sentinel, a member of the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment of the United States Army, the men and women who guard the tomb of the unknowns at Arlington National Cemetery. For every minute of every day since July 2nd, 1937, the old guard has stood guard. And there is nothing casual about the way the work is done in Arlington. When a sentinel comes on duty, he walks exactly 21 steps across the tomb, representing the 21-gun salute, the highest honor given to any military or foreign dignitary. When he turns, he faces the tomb and remains in that position for 21 seconds. He turns again and walks 21 steps across the tomb. When he completes the short journey, he stops, turns toward the tomb, and pauses for 21 seconds. Over and over, the sentinel repeats the process until his shift is completed. When the job is done well, it is nearly impossible to discern any movement of the young soldier's head or weapon. 
With an average age of 22, these young enlisted men and women with ranks ranging from only private first class to specialists prepare for weeks to take a turn at the tomb. Strict training ensures that the guard will be unflinching and unwavering in duty no matter the heat of summer, no matter the driving rain of December or the frozen snow of February. You just don't walk the same way when it's your turn to guard the tomb. Neither should we, those who carry the guard for the name of Christ. When we are walking with Christ, we are not walking the same as we were before our commitment to Him. And then the third thing we see as we look at weaknesses is the results of the worthy walk. Verses 4 through 6 further define what the Spirit's gift of unity implies. And they do so by a series of creed-like formulations, all of them being given emphasis by the repetition seven times of the term one. Notice how we are to be one. One body, the church. One Lord, the church's head. One spirit, one faith, as he calls us to acknowledge Jesus Christ and baptize them into the body. One hope, accepted by the confession of baptism. One baptism and one God, who is known in his self-revelation as Father above all, as Son through all, and as Spirit who is in all the family of God. We are called to be one. If we are not walking worthily of Christ, then the first place to look is to the confession of our oneness in Him. If we are functioning as the body of Christ in the church, then what we do, we do as a people with a single commitment to the Lord and the results of this oneness are shown to us in His Word. The results are good works. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. Good works are the crown, the result, the proof, the test, the product of a Christian life. But we do not produce it. It comes to us through our oneness in Christ. The result then of this growth is God's love. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be therefore imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Walk in love. That is what we need to do. Walk in the love of God, realizing more and more the constraining power of the greatest force in the world. God's love. If we don't understand how God has loved us, it's difficult for us to live with one another in love. We are to walk as one with the Lord. And then the result is the maturity of a Christian. Paul says we need to continue to mature till we all attain into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to the full-grown man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the destination of the Christian walk. He goes on to say that our purpose for growing is that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and craftiness after the wiles of error, but speaking truth in love. May grow up in all things unto him who is the head, even Christ. We walk toward him. We mature as we walk toward Him. One of the weaknesses of the church is we listen to too much stuff. Stuff that confuses who we are and what we're all about. The world would have us believe that the church is dead or dying. But that's Satan at work in the world. We have the power of Christ. But if we're walking with the world, we'll never tap into that power. We'll never see it. Someone put together the following list about how believers live their lives based on the hymns we sing. We sing sweet hour of prayer and are content with five to ten minutes a day. We sing onward Christian soldiers and wait to be drafted into his service. 
We sing for, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing and don't use the one we have. We sing, there shall be showers of blessings, but do not come when it rains. We sing, blessed be the tie that binds and let the least little offense sever it. We sing, serve the Lord with gladness and gripe about all we have to do. We sing, I love to tell the story and never mention it at all. We sing, we're marching to Zion, but fail to march to worship. We sing, cast thy burden on the Lord and worry ourselves into a nervous breakdown over things we have no control over. We sing the whole wide world for Jesus and never invite our next door neighbor to come to church. We sing, oh, day of rest and gladness and wear ourselves out traveling, cutting grass, or playing golf on Sunday. We sing, throw out the lifeline and content ourselves with throwing out a fishing line. If we want to know where we're weak, it's in ourselves, never in God. He calls us to walk toward Him. God has given each person differently. We all have different abilities, gifts, strengths, weaknesses, and all these God-given traits are directly given to accomplish God's will for our lives. As we apply this teaching of Paul to our lives, we find both a caution and an injunction. The caution is this. Let no one sit in judgment of his brother. Let no one attempt to judge whether someone else is walking worthily or not. The injunction is this. Let everyone ask him or herself. Am I walking worthily or unworthily? Of the calling with which I was called. You know, if we can't walk, we go to therapy, don't we? And somebody teaches us how to walk again. The therapy we need most of all is the Word of God. It will show us how to walk. It will teach us how to walk again. But it's up to us to admit we need to learn to walk. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we're grateful that your word shows us vividly where we are weak. And we know, Father, that weakness spills over into our relationships with one another and in our church. Help us, Father, to examine our lives as we seek to walk toward you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of invitation is 389, Blessed Be the Tah. mentioned just a moment ago, we are to walk together with the Lord, and we cannot do it unless we are bound to one another by the love of Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never committed your life to Him, the invitation is open to do so. Whatever your desires, we stand and sing hymn number 389.
this morning, I'm pleased to introduce to you Stephanie Smith, who has been attending our church for quite some time now, and little girls enrolled in Awanas, and she has uh, expressed a desire to unite with this fellowship of believers upon her statement of faith. And so she has been baptized by immersion, and so uh, we want to affirm this by saying amen. Amen. And so we're delighted to have you, Stephanie. I told you that's how easy it would be. We're grateful to have you. I'll ask you to stand here if you don't mind. Let the people greet you because they can enter. You'll never remember all their names, but at least they can speak to you. And we're grateful that you've come to be a part of this. Thank you all for being here today. We don't know what the hurricane's going to bring or if anything. And I don't. I went to Blacksburg yesterday and they told us all day long that it was going to rain all day long. And I have sunburned. That's how much it rained when I was in Blacksburg yesterday, okay? So we never know. But if we have to change our schedule here for whatever reason, you will know it. Um, We'll get the word out. Hopefully nothing will happen, and hopefully everyone will remain safe wherever this thing may decide to to, uh, land. But I'm not one to push the panic button yet because we just don't know, and we just need to be aware as they've told us, and I think that's one reason they try to scare us in the beginning, is so that we'll be ready if something does come. So we will pray for one another that if something does come that we all will remain safe and all the people around will be safe as well. Uh, Don't forget the encounter service tonight and then uh, the connect group start on Wednesday and we will be having uh, our fellowship meal once a month and after this month it will be the first Wednesday of every month okay but this month the reason it's the way it is is because it's the kickoff night so we want to do it that way Uh, in the choir tonight yeah yeah the choirs are coming tonight everybody that's involved in adult music Ensemble, bells, choir need to be here tonight. Thank you for reminding me that. I'm trying to get everything covered and sometimes I forget. But just wanted to remind you of that uh, going on. But thank you for being a part of this uh, service today. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we leave today, we do so recognizing that you are sovereign and you are Lord. And that we are to walk in the direction with you. Help us, Father to set aside all of those things that would distract us and walk toward you. Speak to our hearts and minds as we leave today, keeping us ever mindful of your grace and of your sustaining love. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.